Welcome back to Technically Speaking. This is episode like 35, I think. Um, <laughs> Somewhere in there. Yeah, I lost track. Uh, my name is Nate Harris. I'm Colson Craig. And I'm Madison Hanbury. And now that we finally have working technology, uh, we can go ahead and talk about things. Matt, how have you been? Colson, how have you been? I've been good. I've been good. Um, you know, just doing work... Uh... You know, been making a proof of concepts web thing at my job. Um, and actually, um, I had one of my old friends that I used to do research with, like back when I was a freshman in college. I haven't talked to him since then, but he messaged me and he said that he uh, stumbled upon our podcast and he uh, he listened to it quite a bit and he said he really liked it. I didn't know how anybody could stumble upon our podcast, but okay. Yeah, I haven't asked him because like, I never posted it on my Facebook, and I have no idea how he got a hold of it. I mean, I guess if you search technology podcasts, it pops in there. We're probably I mean, on page it's, it's... like 150 of those search results. You know? Yeah. Well, let's see what I mean, happens when I just Technically speaking, name. we're only one of like five technically speaking podcasts. <laughs> but well, Only one of five yeah. podcasts with the exact same title. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, realize. I checked. We're not competing with any other active podcasts, okay. I think. I think all the other podcasts seemed abandoned. There might have been one that updates. is about a monthly podcast. Um, I haven't checked in a while. I don't know if the other ones have come back or if there's more, but it seemed like we're pretty much the only active, technically speaking, podcast. That's good. That's good. Uh, which is, yeah, which is good. We, have, we dominate that market. And to answer your question, Nate, I'm doing well as well. Uh, I recently, last uh, last Friday, had my eyes fixed, so that's exciting, which you already know about, but uh, Matt didn't. I had PRK surgery, which is uh, an older version of eye surgery that they only do now if you are ineligible for LASIK. I'm technically eligible for LASIK according to the FDA, but my cornea is thin to the extent where that if they did LASIK once and then they needed to do LASIK again later, they wouldn't be able to do it a second time. So my doctor was like, mm -hmm. you should get PRK so that we can do it again later if you need it. And I was like, you're the doc, doc. And so what, the, uh, what is PRK exactly? Like, how so do you... Uh... The way PRK works, is, well, I'm not exactly clear on all the details because, uh, well, honestly, it's very technical. But they scrape away your epithelium, which are some cells on the front of your eye, and they do the work with the laser. Uh, then your epithelium just grows back because those cells regenerate. So uh, there's no like scar, I guess, with PRK, whereas with LASIK, you have that flap that heals as a scar, and they actually scrape away part of your cornea. Sorry if this is totally grossing out people that are listening. Uh, this is technology, though, so, it, you know, technically speaking. Uh, well, I'm glad everything went well with, with people scraping at your eye. Yeah, it was fine, and so the the difference, in case you're wondering, like, why they would prefer LASIK to PRK, is because PRK is just more painful. So with LASIK, for most people... You have LASIK, and it doesn't hurt, and then either right when you walk out of the surgery or the next morning when you wake up, you have, like, 20-20 vision, and it's like, wow, this is the best thing I've ever done. With PRK, you're in pain for two days, and then you're like, my vision's pretty good, I guess, and then over the course of, like, two weeks, your vision gets, like, to 20-20. And then wow. it kind of fluctuates very lightly for the next even couple of months, but it's it's not really something that most people notice. So... 
I'm currently in that period. So right now it's kind of obnoxious to like browse the internet because while, while I can read what's on the screen, it's just not like, it's not quite crystal clear. So it's just kind of obnoxious. So I haven't been using my computer very much. Just been kind of watching mm. TV. So yeah. And I'm not in pain anymore. So that's fine. I actually experienced very little pain. Uh, they, they really scare you going in. They're like, yeah, man, you're going to hate me for the next two days. And I was like, that doesn't sound fun, but the pain wasn't bad at all. Then again, I was on Percocet, so <laughs> I was feeling pretty good, but only for nice. two days because that stuff's really well, addictive. Well, half the half the fun of surgery is the addictive medicine. So <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, um, I'd like to submit an update. So I'm pretty sure um, he found our podcast by just googling my name. Because if you Google my name, technically speaking, episode 21, freaking magnets, how do they work? Is on the second page. Nice. Her. Yeah. Why was he Googling Well, now we have to raise the name? question of why he was Googling your name. Hmm. I'm going to have to ask him that. I don't know. Maybe he, he, he was uh, looking for those those sweet pictures, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the, ones, the ones you've told me about privately? Oh, you mean the ones I've shown you? I mean... <laughs> I mean, I have them saved on my phone, certainly. Also, this is episode 36, Nate, not episode 35. How dare oh, he you? said about uh, episode 35. You know, it's fine. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Wait, Matt, Georgia State students get their own website? I mean, Merit pages? Did you just Google my name? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And it's not on my second page of results. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe Nathan Harris is a more common name than Madison Hanbury. Okay, so... Uh, Wow, I totally had something and I completely forgot. So, Nate, how are you? What have you been up to? Uh, well, other than fighting off uh, the flu and uh, disappointed about the football game on Monday, I've been fine. Um, you know, uh, and when I guess, I don't know, I had a pretty bad weekend, actually. Just had a bad, bad adventure down to Atlanta on Friday night that went way worse than I expected it would have gone. Uh, trying to go to a concert with my friend down in Atlanta turned into a whole deal with me getting a flat tire and then me getting a uh, traffic ticket. And it was a whole deal. And then you got the flu. And then I got the flu. It's a bad weekend. It was a bad weekend. But on the bright side, and this will help us kind of transition into technology talk, uh, I did get one thing finally. Where I did have a bunch of projects earlier in the earlier the end of last week and earlier at the beginning of this week actually work. Um, I've been doing a lot of work on my Raspberry Pis because the whole four weeks of winter break when I wasn't able to do anything with them, and I was having like I was almost having like technology withdrawals. Like I had to like the first week of vacation actually drive back to my apartment in Athens and pick up my Raspberry Pi pirate box. And we talked about it on last week's podcast. So, Colson, you'll have to listen to it. Uh, Matt, you already experienced it. Um, I'll definitely and... get around to that at some point. <laughs> um, I had to bring that back because I was just having withdrawals and I just had to work on something. So finally, when I came back this week, I was able to actually like go ahead and like do all the projects or get started on some of the projects that I had discovered. Um, so I got around to... Um, my four Raspberry Pis, which for the most part, although my my Plex server was also running Couch Potato, though those aren't being used really, um, each Pi was running like only one software. Now, like now, 
the Minecraft server is, is the only one that's technically only running one software. All the other ones are running like two or three different things. Um, and, and they all work, which is great. Um, the big one I got, the big one I added was a network monitor, which basically every, every hour, well, every five minutes, it will run a speed test on my network and see you know, see how my network's doing. Like I pay for 100 megabyte service, or 100 megabit service, I guess. Um, and so I do a speed test every five minutes to see how much, uh, you know, what my speed is. It's always averaging about 80, uh, 85 megabits per second, which is fine. Tisk, um, tisk. Well, that's fine for me. I mean, it's, yeah, but it's not what you're paying for. It's not what I'm paying for, but it's well within the average. Um, but I did have find this uh, software that uh, will automatically run it, and it actually does two things. Every it'll run every five minutes, but on every hour it'll run it, and it'll actually uh, note it down in an Excel spreadsheet for me that I store up in my uh, Google Drive, so I can keep track of the speed test results from every hour. Um, but like I said, it runs every five minutes, and if it ever drops below like seventy-five megabits, it'll actually tweet at uh, Spectrum that. Uh, my speed dropped below what I'm paying for. I saw, I saw that on Twitter. You saw that? Yeah, yeah, it did it twice. So like I set it up at night and I was like, I hope it works. I woke up and it tweeted out twice already. Nice. <laughs> and then Spectrum actually got back to me. They actually, they actually were like, hey, if you DM us, and I DM'd them, and sure enough, they were like, can you unplug your modem and we can do some tests? And I plugged it back in and they were like, what are you getting? I'm like, I'm getting 85 down. They're like, that's within our norms. I'm like, yeah. Like if you have any more problems, let us know. And I was like, no, you'll see. There'll be a tweet about it. <laughs> it's, it's but it's good to know that it actually works. Yeah, that's pretty um, sweet. Yeah, that it is actually running. Um, I don't think it's tweeted out since. Um, I obviously don't get any notifications. I don't know when it's tweeting for me. Um, so I guess I have to go check my Twitter to see if it's tweeted again. Um, but uh, uh, like I said, I don't have any notation. I only have the notation from every hour. Um, and so far, every, on the hour of every hour, it's been fine. Um, let me see. Uh, yeah, looking here, it's always averaged between. It dropped to seventy three six p two days ago, but all the other times it's been in the high eighties, mid to high eighties. Even got up to. Whoa! Actually, it's seven o'clock today. It dropped to sixty six. So I should probably have tweeted out just now <laughs> <laughs> that my internet speed is slow. Um, let's of course, you're see. also talking to us, so it could be affecting your internet speed. I mean, no, I mean, it shouldn't affect it, though. Um, I mean, wait, wait, depending on how it's implemented, of course. How how do you implement it? Is it just like a simple ping, or? Uh, yeah, I think it just. Um... So, I mean, if you're talking about, you know, you're using, you're testing your bandwidth, then if you're, oh, are you breaking up? Hello. Oh, I think we oh, did. Left. I disconnect. Yeah, you disconnected oh, for a second. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'm back. Um, ironic. <laughs> let me see. <laughs> they know. They <I> know. <laughs> they're, they're fed up with this. Um, I think yeah, it's just pinging. It's doing like a speedtest.org test, um, or speedtest.net or whatever it is. Uh, it's just doing a simple test of that and uh, noting down the results. Um, in like a JSON file. Yeah, so like if hypothetically, if Discord's using you know however whatever amount of your bandwidth, then obviously speed test can only use whatever's left. I guess. I guess that's true. I don't know. I I don't think Discord is using that much of your bandwidth where it's going to seriously impact your speed test results. But it's worth. Oh noting. wow. 
It's worth noting. Good thing about Google Docs, it literally just updated from the 8 o'clock speed test, and I got 72 down. Ah, well, there you go. So there we go. Literally just a minute ago, it did the test, uh, and it got 72 down. Maybe, so, yeah, that's probably... why, maybe that's why you broke up there right at 8 o'clock, was because it was running the speed test and using up all your bandwidth. Maybe, um, but I don't know what was happening January last night at 11 p.m. that I got 57 down. Mm. Oh, I actually... Or, Speaking of, or last night at nine when I got forty-eight down, it's half of what I'm paying for. That's pretty terrible. Yikes. Right in peak hours, though, I guess. At nine p.m., still not okay. Yeah, no, it's not okay. It's it. not okay. Yeah, it's terrible. And then, and then you want you want to talk about how um you know you fucking pay for whatever you pay for, and yeah, if you do like a rudimentary speed test, that's not going to get throttled, right? But yeah. if you really get down to it, like they can throttle you on whatever site they want and they can do it per site. So there's really no way of testing that unless you specifically ping certain sites. So the, yeah. most, the so one of the Netflix actually to combat this uh, because they are one of the most commonly throttled sites, obviously, because they're like a huge percentage of network traffic. Fast.com is a speed test set up by Netflix that is through Netflix's servers. So if you mm-hmm. do like a speed test on, on Ookla, speedtest.net, and then you do a speed test on fast and the, and your results on fast.com are way slower than Ookla, your Netflix Netflix is being throttled. Um, so it's a yeah. good way to test whether Netflix is being throttled. And if if anything is going to be throttled, it's probably going to be Netflix. So if Netflix isn't being throttled, throttled then you no. probably can. No, no. Uh, it's not going to be Netflix because they're a big company. And obviously, like because they've made moves like fast.com, companies are going to be you know wise to that. I That's a good point. I guess before that. I guess before fast would have been would have been a better. No, I mean I I caught that on I did it on my data. I have Verizon and sure enough, I did a speed test and I got like twelve down and then I went over to fast.com and I got like nine down. Uh that's pretty close though. I mean that's that's a seventy that's a twenty five percent difference. Yeah, but it's a three megabits per second difference. So there's a big difference between twenty five percent when you're when the max is twelve and twenty five percent when it's a hundred. Yeah. Right. Like I mean, okay, I can do two like, speed tests back to back right now, and I'd probably get a three megabits per second difference. Doesn't look like my thing tweeted. Well, okay. So anyway, uh, speaking of tweeting at companies to get things fixed, and this is this is slightly technology related. In fact, it is technology related. I went to see All the Money in the World, the movie, over the Christmas break. Well, I went to the movie theater to see the movie, and I used my movie pass, got in at the AMC Classic in Newton, which is. It used to be a car mic until very recently when AMC bought a car mic. Uh, that theater sucks, and I try to avoid it at all costs, but that day it was showing the movie at the time that I wanted to see it, so I went to see it, and uh, the move, the screen came on, and there were literally, like, the, sc- the, the screen, and I don't mean the projector, I mean, like, the physical screen was in such disrepair that it was, like, distracting. So I, I walked out of the movie, and I, then I tweeted at, uh, and I didn't ask for a refund because I had used my movie pass, so it didn't matter to me, whatever. So I tweeted at AMC, and I was like, when your screens are this bad, I, I will just leave. Like, I will walk out of your movie theater. I, I do not accept this. Uh, and they actually tweeted back at me. It was like, hey, you know, sorry to hear that you had a negative experience. You know, please DM us. So I did. And they were like, oh, I can't, you know, I'm so sorry about that, that happened. And we'll be in touch with that theater to figure out, you know, what's going on. I think the real problem is that that theater is the worst theater in Newton. And there are two others. And so they don't have the money to fix it because no one goes to the theater. And no one goes to the theater because they don't have the money to fix it. But anyway. Uh, also more personal technology stuff that is actually more heavily consumer tech. Uh, my LG G6, which was my main phone since the beginning of April, kind of crapped the bed 
uh, last month where like everything mm-hmm. was running super slow and like it wasn't getting security updates and it was just kind of it was in bad shape, which is a shame because that phone was really good when I first like when I first got it. What I've learned is you that mean it was just basically an LG phone. Yeah, that's what I've learned is that I'm just not going to buy any LG phones anymore. Like they, they just don't update their stuff, which is a shame because like I said, the phone was really good. Uh, so as you know, and as any listener of this show knows, uh, I have been on a crusade against uh, companies that, that drop the headphone jack from their phone. And I, I stated on this show, I said, I will not buy a phone without a headphone jack until I absolutely must. Well, I was thinking, when do I use a headphone jack? Really? No, don't, don't, get, answer, don't do it. And the answer is that I use a headphone jack in my car, and that's the only time I ever use my headphone jack. Um, so I bought a Pixel 2 XL. I have that now. It doesn't have a headphone jack, and I have a little adapter for my car. And here's the funny thing. So the adapter lets me charge and listen at the same time, which I know is something ridiculous that you have an adapter for that now. But I used to, when I got into my car, I would have to plug two cords into my phone. Now I only have to plug one cord into my phone. So I still don't like that I don't have a headphone jack, but... I've accepted it. I've moved on, and man, I really like this phone. But when people talk about like, uh, like you know, these people talk about how the pixels are just so smooth because the software is optimized with hardware, or whatever hardware is optimized with the software, whatever. That's a bunch of nonsense. But it's true. This phone is like lightning fast and really smooth. It's it's kind of unbelievable. Even Snapchat, which is possibly the worst coded app in the entire history of Android, uh, is like lightning fast on this phone. It was. It was unbearable to use on the G6, uh, and it is a pleasure on Pixel 2 XL. And the battery life is fantastic, really. I really like the phone. Still annoyed that there's no headphone jack, but that's the only trade-off, I would say. And uh, anyway, I just wanted to update everyone and tell you I'm a huge hypocrite, and uh, I have a Pixel 2 XL now. How dare you? I know. I, feel, I, I, I knew when I was buying it, I was like, I'm just going to have to admit this on the show and there's just going to be no going, there's no going to be no getting around <laughs> it because I, I, like, I talked for episodes about how I would never, ever buy a phone with a headphone jack. And then like a month later, I went into a store, traded in my G6 and bought one. <laughs> <laughs> and then I ordered a $45 adapter to let me charge and listen to the car. That's the worst part is I paid $45 for that adapter. <sighs> See, I'm, I'm jealous but at the same time, I'm, I'm not. I don't know. <laughs> Listeners, I'm. A, I apologize for my hypocrisy. I'll try to be less hypocritical in the future. My friends that host the show with me, it's a good phone. Please don't judge me as hard as I know you are. But I deserve it. I deserve any judgment you're gonna throw my way. That being listen, said, listen. The phone's awesome. You can you can like whatever phone you like. All right, but we do reserve the right to edit that entire spiel out of the show. <laughs> All the things that might redeem what I said, like yeah. cut those out and, and only leave in the parts where I'm like, I'm a hypocrite. I bought a pixel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just yeah. I won't even head. like leave any context. <laughs> like we're gonna reduce it. Re- we're gonna reduce it down to that one small excerpt. I just decided that fast updates and really good software were more important to me than the headphone jack, even though on principle. I think that taking out the headphone jack is a bad move. So mm-hmm. if there was a phone that was as good as the Pixel 2 XL that had a headphone jack, I would have gotten that phone. I don't think that phone exists except for maybe the LG V30 and I wasn't going to buy another LG phone right now. You know what I mean? Uh, and so I, I needed to switch phones because my G6 was just crapping the bed. So I think this was the best choice for me. And honestly, 
I, I don't think I'm going to be able to switch switch away from a Pixel. Unless this phone craps the bed like my G6 did, which is totally possible. I don't think I'm going to find myself switching away from Pixels for a long time because I, I am just totally in love with this phone. Like, I mean, I couldn't be happier unless it had a headphone jack. Now, have you had any of the screen issues that you've had? Day one. Uh, I had for- so I had actually forgotten about the screen issues until after I bought the phone. And I turned the phone on its side, and I was like, oh, wow, the screen is really blue when I turned it on its side. Uh, And it was something where, like, because I knew about it, I was really annoyed. And then I forgot about it. And, yes, blue shift is real, and apparently it's it's not a thing on, like, the most recent batches of the phone, which annoys me. And I, I might actually RMA the phone to get a newer batch. But, no, I haven't had any of, like, the graininess or, like, my my the colors are totally uniform on the screen. The only issue that is like that I've been affected by is that blue shift, and it's only a problem when you're looking at the phone, not head on, which is not something that I do when I'm using the phone. So it's it's no, I haven't had any problems with the screen to answer your question. Now, um, and the screen is better than my G6's screen, which was not OLED. So, I mean, wait, you so you have you still have the blue screen issue, and you said you're going to RMA it. Did you buy this used or something? No, I I bought it new. I bought it at Best Buy. You bought it new, but it still has that issue. I bought it new, but it was not from the most recent batch, so it was you know sitting. Uh, it was sitting in Best Buy store since October, whenever it was manufactured. In fact, uh, I, I happen to know it was manufactured in October because I looked it up based on my IMEI number. Uh, and there have been some YouTube videos comparing the December batch to the October batch, and all of them come to the same conclusion that they basically fixed the blue shift issue. Uh, so, but you can't RMA just for the blue shifts. You gotta have another reason. I think that reason is for me. I've been having weird problems with the regular, not with the charge and play adapter that I bought, but with a regular headphone jack adapter, where the phone just like won't recognize it. Uh, and I think that's going to be my excuse for RMAing it, even though I don't use that adapter anymore. Mm. But I, I might not even do it because again, I don't even notice the blue shift problem. If I was to RMA it, it would be on principle because they fixed it, and I want to have a fixed one. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's true. Well, now you got me thinking. I, I so I will say, I've had the phone for like a week and a half, so I'm st- I still have like the new phone, you know, rose eyes, rose tinted goggles or whatever, which is weird to say about something in the present. Rose colored glasses. Yeah, but that's something you say about things in the past. But you know what I mean. Like I'm in love with the new phone because it's new, but also I have all the same apps on this that I did on my LG G6. All the same things running in the background. I mean, I'm doing all the same things with it that I did in my G6. It is so much faster at everything. And the camera is so good. And the battery life is so much better. I mean, I I, I love it. I mean, it's a fantastic phone. It charges so fast. Uh, anyway, it's just a really great phone. I, the only My only complaint about the phone is the headphone jack, which is a big complaint. But I've learned to live with it with that one adapter, which, again, means I only have to plug in one thing when I get in the car, which is nice. So I, mean, I don't even think I use my headphone jack. I got Bluetooth headphones for Bluetooth earbuds for Christmas. Then in the car, I always use my Bluetooth. So yeah. So in in the car, I use Aux uh, because my because I, it sounds better. And so my my car's my car's Bluetooth audio is garbage. Like it doesn't support any of the really good codecs. So like using Bluetooth in my car is just straight up not an option. Like it sounds terrible. But the aux port sounds fine. The stereo system is fine, so I use aux. Uh, I have Jaybird Freedom Bluetooth earbuds that I use when I walk around, and they are 
good enough where I can't tell the difference when I'm listening to uh stream like Google Play streaming music. Now, if I put on my Sony MDR V6s and listen to an FLAC, I can tell the difference between that and my Bluetooth headphones. But I use my Bluetooth headphones when I'm walking around campus, which means I'm usually listening to either Google Play music streaming or a podcast. So again, for my purposes, I just really didn't use the headphone jack that much to begin with, or at least towards the end there. And uh, the one time I did use it, I kind of like only having to plug one cord into my phone now anyway, so it's fine. How often do you use do you listen to FLAC files? Not often, which is why I'm saying that it's not a big deal for me. I, I, I only listen to FLAC files if I'm at my computer and I want to listen to Eagles music because I have a bunch of that as FLAC files. Everything else I just stream on Google Play Music. So t- I, not often is the answer to your question. Hmm. Yeah, so like the only time is like when I have concerts that I have, like bootleg concerts that are FLAC from Soundboards, or I have... I have FLAC rips of all the Eagles albums on my computer, including their live stuff. And I listen to that, you know, when I'm browsing the web, I'll just put on a concert and listen to the whole concert while I'm browsing the web. I do that pretty often. I listen to a lot of Eagles music. I'm a big Eagles fan, as you guys may or may not know. <laughs> it's a little bit embarrassing how much I like the Eagles. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. That's one of the most popular bands in recent history. I mean, it's the best-selling American band of all time. So there you go. Yeah. Best because they're the best band of all time. So, there you go. Obviously, Queen is amazing too, and so is Led Zeppelin, but Eagles all the way. Anyway, uh, Matt, personal projects yeah. you've been working on? Personal projects? Ooh. I, I've, so, I was talking about things I bought. I, I haven't actually been doing anything. I haven't been like programming anything. But <laughs> Well, I mean... Personal projects, uh, like I said, I've really just been doing things inside of work right now. Gotcha. Um, let's see. I know I've been working on things. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm downloading Screeps, which it doesn't really count as a personal project, but have you heard of this game? No, what is it? Okay, it's awesome. I'm going to go to the site so I'm, I can read off a blurb if they have any. All right. Uh, so basically... All right, so this is their uh, quote on their website. It's an MMO sandbox game for programmers. All right. The I like way I would looking des- at the site, too. It looks good. Yeah, the way I would describe it, it's like um, an MMO RTS. It's like StarCraft, except um, the game continues when you're offline, and the way you control it is not directly through like pointing, clicking, and delegating in that fashion. You actually have a full JavaScript environment, right, with um, some objects already built in to the game that... Uh, you know, they're basically your drones, quote unquote. And you use these drones to collect materials, build things, defend things, um, fight, right? But uh, you do so using JavaScript. So you write your own methods and you type in commands to make things happen, to make all things happen. And uh, you basically, you can uh, create your own procedures uh, to continue when you're offline so essentially the game keeps going even when you're not actively interacting with it and i think that's pretty cool what is this game called screeps s-c-r-e-e-p-s and i think we should play it together i think it'd be fun <laughs> yeah that would be fun I- i'd be down for that it's like 15 yeah. bucks i think is what it said yeah 15 bucks there you know you can try the live demo online since it's javascript uh it's just right in the browser uh you can buy it on steam obviously yeah, I don't know. We talked about JavaScript last week. I don't know how trustworthy I can be with it. I mean, JavaScript kind of sucks, but uh, I mean, a game based around programming 
That sounds fun. So yeah, yeah, it, it does sound fun. And JavaScript, you know, um, it has a lot of things that I dislike about it. Like not not just in terms of security, but like the design of it. Uh, it's it's very easy to get lost in a sea of periods. Like it has the same prog uh, problem that a lot of object oriented programming languages have. Um, Java and JavaScript, I think, are the worst offenders, uh, where you just have like an unending cascading um, just object where you have one object inside of another inside of another, and you have to keep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's the worst. <laughs> and, uh, but. You know, JavaScript syntax is, is kind of nice as long as you avoid falling into that trap because uh, you don't have to do anything like a designated type. So you don't have to worry about if something's an integer or a double or a you know string or anything like that. Um, and for the most part, like it's nice to be able to develop and not have to compile anything. And you know you already have a web browser on your system, so you don't have to install any interpreters or anything like that. So it's pretty good. Yeah, accessible. Yeah. Why are there so many JavaScript versions? Uh, I mean, it's been around it's, for a while. It's old. So yeah. Keep updating it it used to be known as ECMAScript, and then Java started getting popular in the web because um, the bytecode that Java produces um, is used to be ideal for web since they were small. Like the the bytecode was small, and it could be easily sent over the web. So people would write applications in it, and then they said, "Well, ECMAScript is just as good, and it's client side." Well, well, so is so are the Java, so is Java bytecode, but you had to install Java on your system to get it to work. Yeah, but, so um, they straight up just they, writing those coattails, baby. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not the same language. They just renamed it because they wanted to. <laughs> They're like Java's popular. Let's make ECMAScript more popular. Yeah, by just naming it JavaScript. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it worked. Yeah, totally. I mean, Isn't it's how all things are done. <laughs> I mean, HTML, yeah. CSS, JavaScript, those are the foundations of the internet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, Nate, we wanted to talk about Plex servers, right? Uh, yeah, if you want. I mean, do you have anything special with yours? You're well, so thinking. before the show, you had mentioned that you've got your remote access working. So for those who don't know, Plex is a uh, media server program that you... So you've got a bunch of movies on your computer... You put Plex server on your computer, uh, and then from wherever you are, whatever device you're on, you can log into Plex and watch those, watch those movies. You can stream them from your computer to whatever device you're on. So I use Plex not to stream to far off locations, but to stream from my PC, which is against one wall in my room, to my TV, which is against another wall in my room, uh, so that I don't have to just like click play on my computer and have my computer come to my TV, so that I can use the remote on my TV to watch movies. And so I don't use it to access from outside, you know, access remotely. But I, my friend Brandon actually has my login information for Plex so that he can watch the movies, TV shows, whatever that I have on there because I figured, why not? Brandon likes movies too. So the, the only problem with that is that because of my setup, the remote access on my Plex server uh, only allows for 360p streaming. So whenever he watches something, unless he actually downloads the entire file, it looks and sounds terrible. And the reason that, that this is funny is because Plex remote access is notoriously finicky. And when I, I say notorious, notorious for me, because every time I've ever tried to get it working, it doesn't work. And when it does work, it barely works. And then when you finally get it working, you don't want to touch anything ever on your computer. Otherwise, it will stop working. So remote access on Plex, for some reason, either works the first time you set up Plex and is perfect, 
or is insanely complicated for some reason. But yes. the reason particularly that mine works the way it does is because when you log in to my Plex account remotely, it says that you have indirect access to my PC. And that is because of the way the internet in my building works. So the way that internet in my apartment building works is that internet's included with the rent. So they just have Wi-Fi all over the building and they also have Ethernet ports in all the apartments you just plug into and you're on the network. Gross. So yeah, it's gross because obviously I want my own network. So I set up my own router so that I have my own Wi-Fi network. But it's obviously connected to the building, you know, the Ethernet, and, you know, yeah. and the wall, which is connected to the building's network, which means that it's a network connected to a network connected to the <coughs> ISP, wherever that is. So because I'm using, because because it's two steps instead of just one step, so instead of my computer just being plugged right into the wall, um, Plex sees that as an indirect connection. And when you have an indirect connection, you can only stream 360p and you can't stream the full quality, even if your bandwidth, even if you're you know, internet speed would support it. So whenever Brandon wants to watch something, he downloads the entire file. And of course, because I'm me and I have, I'm a stickler for quality for my movie files. All my movie files are like 25 to 35 gigabytes a piece. So, <laughs> it, so he's on his like school Wi-Fi, and it takes him like a day to download a movie. <laughs> Anytime he's like, hey man, you want to watch this movie? You know, when I'm at home visiting, <laughs> he has to ask me like a day in advance. He's like, all right, I'm going to start downloading it now so that we can watch it tomorrow. <laughs> Just cracks me up. Uh, so eventually, when I move to a different apartment, I'm going to finally have a direct connection so that you can just stream movies at a reasonable uh, bit rate <laughs> just at a resolution. It cracks me up every time he does it. I'm just like, I'm sorry. So, can you, so, so like, can you not compress the file? I mean... Yeah, so I Yeah, but this is Colson we're talking about, so... No, so I, like, I know. I mean, like, I mean, just for the sake of transport and then uncompress it when you get it. So well, I mean, that's, that's what that's what the I mean, that's what the streaming is, hypothetically. So... When you stream on Plex and you have a direct connection, you can stream either the full quality or any number of other options where it will like transcode on the fly. And based on how powerful the computer is that you're streaming from, that transcoding will be very good or very poor because that computer is having to live transcode, right? So uh, my computer is fairly powerful, so it can, does a pretty good job of that when you have a direct connection. But like I said, he can only do 360p, so it's... Tra- you know, it's transcoding to 360p, which obviously looks terrible, and it's doing some some nonsense with the audio, so it sounds bad too. Uh, but you can Plex also has an option of quote unquote optimizing your video for streaming, and there's a bunch of settings you can optimize for iPad or TV or PS4 or whatever else, and then it will just create a permanent new file on your hard drive that is the streaming version of the movie that will then stream anytime you stream the movie. So. I could do that, but then I'd be taking up a bunch of extra space on my hard drive for files that I would never use because they're not as good as whatever the full-size file is. And I, don't, I mean, I only have so much hard drive. I do have 7.5 terabytes of hard drive space, but I only have 7.5 terabytes of hard drive space, and I want to use it for the stuff I want to use it for. You know, I, you know, I give Brandon my login as a courtesy, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, to answer your question, yes, you can compress it and, and send it, but it's not cool. worth it. And when you do it on the fly, it requires a direct connection, which I don't have. Oh, and I will have in the future, hopefully. Uh, so anyway, I just wanted to say that Plex uh, remote access is finicky. And I only have Plex set up so that I can stream from my computer to my TV, which is like five feet away from my computer. Anyway, that's the whole story. I'm, I, I'm glad I got to rant about Plex for like 10 minutes there. Sorry for anyone who got super bored by that. 
but uh, it's a fun I mean, story for me. It's usually me ranting about something, so it's just nice to have somebody else rant. <laughs> oh, I can rant. Don't worry. Oh, just real quick. My mom got me an Eric Clapton autograph, and I am very in- in- excited about it. I just thought I'd share. Anyway. How, Nate, how did she manage to do that? At a charity auction, actually. So she uh, she's a she works for SunTrust Bank, and she sits on the board. So she banks not-for-profit and government organizations. And so she sits on, like, the board for a bunch of random small government stuff. And, the, you know, sometimes these places have events, and she goes to them. Uh, and because these people like her a lot, you know, yeah, that's fine, whatever. Because they're she's a, their banker and she's really good at it, whatever. So she went to this charity auction and and she was like, Holson, would you want a Eric Clapton autograph? And I was like, my mother, you've known me my entire life. You know that I collect autograph things and that I love Eric Clapton. The answer is obviously yes. So uh, she bid on it and no one bid against her because they like her a lot. And so I got it. So uh, now I have an Eric Clapton autograph, which is pretty awesome. Holy shit. Yeah. How much did she bid on it? That's a great question. Uh, here's the thing. She forgot about it for like a year. So when she didn't tell me afterwards that she managed to win it, I just assumed she didn't win the the auction because it was a silent auction. Or I just assumed that someone out bid her. And she forgot about it for like a year. And then last week she was like, oh, Colson, I forgot. I got I got this for you. And here it is. And I was like, wah. Uh, but she didn't remember exactly how much. But she would not. She did not have to pay what you normally would have to pay for an Eric Clapton autograph because... No one bit against her because she's my mom. She's her. So, uh, <laughs> it's, it sounds like she like muscled everybody into not bidding against her, but I promise that's not how it went down. Uh, you better not bid against me or I'll increase your bank fees. Anyway. I'm going to uh, bet against you. <laughs> I, I collect autographs, I, so I, I, have a, I, I have a bunch. Can of I retroactively bet against? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, okay. Because I'd like to escalate my... Uh, my douche tree to that level if I can. Oh, you're you're already up there. So yes, don't worry. Thank you, thank you. I I also recently got uh, Randy Meisner autograph. He's one of the founding members of the Eagles. Um, I have six out of seven Eagles members now. I'm only missing Bernie Lennon, and I have all of those autographs on separate items. Uh, so the problem with that is that there are like no items that are only signed by Bernie Lennon because Bernie Lennon is not like Don Henley or Glenn Frey. Uh, so like things that are signed by Bernie Ledden are also signed by other members of the Eagles. But I'm looking for items that are only signed by Bernie Ledden, right? And they just don't exist. So <laughs> I'm having a real hard time finishing the set. But anyway, I digress. Back to technology. Sorry, guys. Nate. Yeah. Is there another topic that you wanted to discuss? I can't remember what it was. Well, if you don't know, I did have that TV thing I wanted to talk about. Go ahead. Okay, so... Unless Matt wants to say something. Oh, um, well, there's this post I was looking at on 4chan, and... Uh, oh, dear. I'm just going to read it to you. <laughs> <laughs> As a 20-year-old single male, I think it's very hard to find a girl who's actually interested in free software. I've had girls jokingly ask to Netflix and chill, but when I tell her that I don't use Netflix since Netflix requires proprietary software to stream content, they stop talking to me. And worse, if they do stay, they think I'm weird since I blocked Google IPs on my host file and we can't even watch YouTube. I can't ever seem to get girls to come over 
over to my place and I can't text them either. Once I get the num their numbers, since I've added custom ROMs to my phone and I refuse to use SMS since it's a security concern, I require all of my friends to download a free and open source messaging app that I share with them that I share with them and my public GPG key so that we can verify that our conversations are secure. None of my friends are willing to do this, and I can't use sites like Tinder since it's not only proprietary software, but a major pr uh, privacy vulnerability. How come it is so hard to find a girl concerned about software freedom? I feel like I'm going to be a virgin forever. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Relatable. <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. All right, go ahead. <laughs> so uh, at CES, Samsung unveiled this 146-inch TV called The Wall, appropriately. Uh, now, I don't think this is actually going to be like a consumer product. I don't think they're going to sell The Wall. But the technology behind it is the exciting part for me as a TV nerd. So number one, it's modular. So it's actually made up a bunch of a bunch of small square panels. So that they, that means they can make whatever size the wall they want, 146 inches, just the, what they went with for this demonstration. Um, second, it uses micro LED display technology, which as far as I know is new, at least to being in something that's actually going to consumers. So LED TVs aren't as good as OLED TVs because they don't, they're not self-emissive. So like they use backlights, which means they can't have perfect blacks. So in an OLED TV, each individual pixel lights up, which is what, that's why it's called self-emissive, which means that when something on the screen should be black, that pixel just turns off and it's literally black. So it's a quote-unquote infinite contrast ratio. So micro-LED is also self-emissive, so no backlight. And on top of that, it doesn't use any organic components and as a result of that, can get way brighter than OLED, which means this is potentially like even better than OLED, which is already an amazing display technology. So we're talking about like uh, another huge leap forward in, uh, in just, you know, in display quality. And I say huge leap forward. It's not like standard definition to high definition, but it's a big deal for me and I'm very excited about it. And also I really like the idea of a modular TV where they can just like make whatever size TV they want based on these small panels. A lot of the amazing. A lot of and the cost. No, no, whatever shape too. Think of it that way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so so uh, for large, like really big screens, think like at concerts. This is already a thing. Uh, like they have these square panels that interlock together to make whatever size and shape screen you have. It, that's how they make those really weird shaped screens at concerts. Uh, mm -hmm. But the like the pixel density isn't very tight. But this is obviously like we're talking about a 4K, 8K screen. And you know, if you want your 4K screen to be an 8K screen, you just add more of these squares to it and suddenly you know you have more resolution uh, anyway uh the point so a lot of the cost associated with really big tvs is that getting color uniformity on like the the bigger the tv the harder it is for colors to be uniform across the tv when they manufacture it so like they'll put a static gray image on the screen and it won't look uniform across the entire tv so um a lot of times you'll have like the higher end models of tvs that use the same panel will be like bend higher, kind of like graphics cards, so that even though they're technically the same panel, the higher end one will have slightly better uniformity because it's just bend higher. Uh, so what this modular thing means is that they can just make small panels that are super uniform and interlock them together into bigger panels. So that it, it hypothetically could make uniformity problems a thing of the past, I think. This is just me theorizing based on what I know about uniformity problems so it, a lot of the cost of bigger tvs 
are those uniformity problems. So hopefully that cost will go down. And also making giant pieces of glass is obviously expensive. And that won't be a thing anymore, I guess, with, with micro LED, with this kind of TV that they're talking about. So this, the wall TV announcement was like really exciting for me. So I just had to talk about it on the, on the podcast. I couldn't, I couldn't not mention it. So yeah, that's all I have to, to say about it. Uh, there's not much known about it except for like the people that got to see it at CES. I, I watched Vincent Tio's video on it. Uh, he's host of HDTV Test on YouTube and a professional reviewer calibrator, as he likes to say at the beginning of all his videos. Uh, it looks really cool and apparently is better than OLED, which OLED is pretty dang fantastic. So, I mean, awesome, right? So how long until you buy it? Uh, I'm buying it tomorrow. No, <laughs> they didn't. They didn't announce a price. Like I said, I don't think that this specific model is going to be something that actually goes to consumers. I think it's going to be probably later in the year by the time they get something out out to consumers, and probably won't be referred to as the wall. Uh, but micro LED is the exciting part of this, and and the modular thing. So I think that that concept is going to be Sam. It's by Samsung. I don't know if I mentioned that. Uh, I think that's going to be Samsung's top of the line TVs this year, and hopefully it will become their middle of the line next year. And that's probably, that's probably when I will consider jumping in if it's really that big of a step forward from OLED. Um, Cause I just got this OLED TV and I'm totally in love with it. So it's going to take a, like a huge leap to get me to, to buy another TV this soon. But, oh man, I, I oh man, micro LED looks really awesome. But, well, if you ever get that, make sure to let me know if I can get your TV. <laughs> no, I think I'll probably just put my current TV in another room or something. Um, <laughs> but on on the side of me not updating TVs, LG announced their new OLEDs for the year at CES as well. And they're actually the same panels as last year. So the, 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 screen, themself, the screen itself isn't changing. But the processor inside the screen got a bump up. So hypothetically like motion processing and like high frame rate stuff is going to look a little bit better and maybe maybe color will be a little bit better but it's according to people who are at ces it's extremely negligible so i i don't have to lust over this year's new lg oleds thankfully that was what i was afraid of is that i would buy a tv in fall 2017 and then january 2018 they would just like completely blow it away with something amazing Anyway, uh, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. So again, sorry for ranting for another few minutes about uh, another topic, but uh, I enjoyed it. So, thank you. I actually didn't know about the wall TV. Um, I, I really do think it could be revolutionary. I, at the very least, high end TVs are going to be more. So, what I hope is that my so at the same way that OLED is like super high end right now, and LCD slash LED is like regular TVs, and there are some super high-end LEDs, but like if you're going to go super high-end, you should get an OLED. LED is like mid to low range. I'm hoping that LED becomes low range only and that OLED becomes mid-range and micro LED will become like the high-end technology because if, if OLED can become like the standard TV that like everyone's buying, that would be amazing. And when I visit people and watch things at their houses, I won't have to like be upset. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm not that much of a snob. I mean, I am, but... Well, why not? I, I don't I see any reason. <laughs> oh, man. Som- sometimes I just really catch myself feeling really snobby about, about TVs. But then other times I watch a movie on my TV and I'm like, oh, man, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So anyway, uh, yeah, the wall. Hopefully it's as awesome as it sounds.
I'm going to buy it. I'm going to get one. 146 inches, baby. Down payment it's right small. now. No, but wouldn't it be cool if you could just buy um, another one, set it right next to it, and it'd be fine? Like a regular monitor. Never mind. Um, <laughs> no, I take that back. Wait, what? I'm confused. Matt, can you explain? Uh, I, I no 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 I I was saying I was thinking like so you said it was completely modular right so I was yeah. thinking it'd be really cool if you could um actually exploit that like as a consumer and just buy like panels and have them interact with each other possible like and then I realized that that's just what you can do with a regular monitor so I stopped talking. <laughs> Man, would it be cool if you could just like drag your window from one screen to another screen? That would be insane. Whoa. You know Dude, what? if you if you mentioned that 20 years ago, people would shit their pants. <laughs> you know what though? You'd be surprised how many like times someone will see my or I'll mention that I have more than one monitor or they'll see a two monitor setup and they'll be like, "Whoa, how does that even work?" And I, you know, I'm just dumbfounded that they've never seen that before, but they haven't. And it, you'd be surprised. It happens more often than is acceptable. So um, I've been posting, I've been steadily posting quality memes, and I'm really disappointed that nobody said anything about it. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry. I, saw... I, I haven't, I, Discord was was not on the front of my screen. I, I saw, I saw the first two. I haven't seen this new one. Oh, uh, Matt, how yeah. is the 970? 970 working great dude great okay yeah i meant yeah i wanted to talk about that actually on the show yeah i'm just using it for like um simulations and stuff it's awesome great it's just I'm, what i needed i'm glad yeah. you like it yeah i mean i that was the easiest sell i've ever done in my life so that was great that was the easiest buy i've ever gotten i i don't think you were on the show when i talked about it but i um created a build with uh my friend was also upgrading like basically everything in his computer and he practically gave me his computer like, oh. um, yeah, yeah. He charged me 150 for like basically everything except for a case and a, um, and a graphics card. And I got an i5, uh, some motherboard that has way too many ports that I, you know, <laughs> too many ports for me to ever use. I know what you mean. Uh, 12 gigs of RAM and, uh, yeah. I'm Do you know which i5 it is? Uh, yeah, it's, I, I could check it. Let me just pipe it into LSHW real quick. Yeah, no worries. I, I, it's funny you paid 150 for that, and then, what was it, 150 or 160 for the GPU? So the GPU alone is like the cost of the rest of the PC, also. Yeah, exactly. But even then, like you said, good deal on the GPU, and a good deal for me too. That definitely made the 1070 Ti hurt less. Good. Yeah, and now I'm I trying mean, to sell. I mean, you could have you could have made more, I suppose, but I mean, like. I mean, after eBay fees, I really wouldn't have come out any better. So, I mean, it was it was mutually beneficial, honestly. Okay. Oh, uh, I'm trying to sell, you know, <laughs> sure, in the market. I'm trying to sell a uh, PSVR right now, actually. Um, I got an Oculus Rift. No, sorry. Yeah, I didn't Not me. So. I didn't think so. But, uh... <laughs> Listeners, if you're interested. <laughs> oh, man. So, um... Uh, anyway, I'm glad to hear that it got to you okay and that it's working really well. Did you figure out which uh, i5 you have? Uh, I'm looking that up now. I uh, just dumped all my specs. Uh, there's this awesome um, utility, if you guys are ever into it. Uh, it's called LSHW, and you can have it uh, deposit the info in like whatever document format you want. 
My favorite is the HTML format because you can just open it in a web browser and it's way more information than you need. Anyway, uh, the i5 I have is the uh, 4690K. Oh, that's what I have. So you, you, you now have the same setup as me when I had that 970. Oh, seriously? Yes, because I had I had a forty six ninety K and a nine seventy. The only thing is I had eight I have eight gigs of RAM and not, not twelve. I need to get more RAM, but Yeah, I have uh twelve gigs of RAM. Yeah, so uh, I know that PC performs very well. <laughs> gigab- twelve gigabytes of RAM, but eleven gigabytes of RAM, so that sucks. Oh man. Yeah, you got you got you got a uh, you got uh, those gigabytes. Jeez, what's the, the units? What's you the re- you really for? do have to worry about that. Gypped, that's the word I was looking for. Gosh. I did get gypped. Get you. you got you got geeped. Uh, that was a bad joke. I was trying to go for a pun. It would work better in text and not out loud. It's all right. I'm into it. I think it's funny. Thank you. Thank you. Whoa. Sorry. What? Uh, just came across a, a good deal. Sorry. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, it's a 40 inch 4K TV for 169 dollars, depending on location. So I'm trying to figure out if my location has that. Anyway, sorry. Sorry. I've got, I've got one more quality meme that you guys should look at if you ever have a chance. What the and it's uh, uploading right now. There you go. I think, Nate, you might really appreciate this. I'll have to check it out. Let me check it out. This is a long one. I can't even... Uh, I can't even read it. Well, you have to download it. Let me open original. It's worth it. It's worth it. Just trust me. This is just riveting for the listener. Okay, why don't you... All right, I'll read it out. So it's a comic, right? And it's um, it's going to save a princess and how it would go with each different programming language. So in the first row, suppose you have JavaScript. You spend hours picking libraries, setting up nodes, and building a framework for the castle. By the time you finished with the framework, the fort has been abandoned and the princess has been moved to another castle. And then with C, you have a library for castle and a library for the princess. Charge! You rescue the princess, her dog, her entire wardrobe, everything she has ever eaten. Fuck, did I forget a null terminator? And they, they just go on like this. It's pretty funny. I'm sure you could find it. <laughs> I like the lisp one. It's just like... This peasant-looking guy with uh, the horse is riding on his shoulders holding a sword for some reason. It says, you have lisp. And the guy holding the horse is, like, drooling. And then it's two panes of just random parentheses. And at the end, <laughs> the, the guy's on the bottom on all fours. The princess is riding his back. And the horse is riding the princess's back. <laughs> <laughs> so somehow it worked. <laughs> And then uh, the last one's pretty good, too. You have PHP. You have to rescue the princess in PHP. The last pain is just him hanging himself. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure I get that last one. It, some people just really hate PHP. <laughs> I really like it, though. I think it's a nice language. I'm not a huge fan of it, though I've had very little experience with it. Yeah. It's just one of those server-side languages. Did you know you can... Uh, so there's a um, format for built into every server, every web server, or at least Apache, um, 
where you can execute CGI files. And what CGI files are is they're executable files to be executed by your system. So like it could be a compiled C program. It could be a bash script. It could be any language you want. And um, using these CGI files, you can actually uh, basically write server-side code in any language you want. Did you know that? Uh, no, I did not. It's pretty cool. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, that's how they used to do um, server-side back in the day. It was like one of the first popular standards. And people used to write server-side uh, code in Perl because it was very good at text manipulation. And that's pretty much all server-side languages do. They just do a shit ton of text manipulation and spit out HTML for your browser to render. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, I'm so, out of ideas, things to talk about. Well, <laughs> oh. we should probably end, but I wanted to ask what language you guys would like to write a, a website in, if oh, you could geez. pick any language. Honestly, I, I'm not experienced enough in writing websites to change from just writing them in HTML and uh, JavaScript. And no, CSS. it doesn't have to. Be, it doesn't have to be a language that you know. Uh, well, I mean, I want. To, I mean, obviously, I, I want to learn C. Uh, that's my next. Next, I'm gonna learn C plus plus, and then after that, I'm gonna go learn C. Uh, and I'm trying to do both of those by the time I start my job as a software developer in June. Uh, you you might want to start with C. Really? Yeah, C's a lot easier. Oh well, then I will totally. Yeah, I will. Yeah, Why is um, C easier? Was, Sorry. Well, there's something. It's just more basic. Um, there are some things that C plus plus makes easier. For example, um, like the inclusion of strings makes your life a lot easier because you can just just like in Java or any other language, you can can you can concatenate strings just by using the plus operator. Okay. But, um, you know, once you get past that and you get used to, like, using character arrays instead of strings, like, C is a lot more straightforward. It's easy to get lost in C++, in my opinion, with uh, the namespaces and, you know, object notation and things like that. All right, cool. Thanks for the advice. Yeah, it's my advice. You choose it to take it or leave it. Or yeah, no worries. I, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, my professor, I guess a year ago, when we were trying to, there's a web programming class. Ended up not being very much about web programming, more about... It was more about, like, server-side stuff, but it wasn't, like, specifically about servers. It wasn't a server class. It was weird. But we were trying to code... It probably was, the, was a terrible introduction because it confused me because it was my first introduction to web programming at all. And I had been a semester in Java, but he was trying to make us code, like, a website using Java servlets as opposed to like just mm. using PHP or anything like a normal J person. JSP? I don't know. That's yeah, pretty normal. That's, I mean, I'm currently, I mean, I took NetApps last semester, which is which is in the management information department here at UGA. And this semester I'm taking web programming, which is the CS, the computer science department's version. And the school has decided that those are content equivalent. Um, but the, I, it's, this is a long series of why I have to take the CS version, even though I've taken the MIS version. But, uh, I mean, in the NetApps version, we did JSPs and servlets, and uh, so we did serverless JSPs, we did HTML, we didn't do any PHP, and then apparently that's what we're going to do when programming, which is probably the same class you took. Yeah, um, I mean, JSP is usually what people use for the Java, you know, server side stuff. Um, I mean, it's great if you know Java, but when it comes to web programming, Java is kind of overkill in my opinion, at least for server side stuff in most cases. Well, also, like it was like I said, it was my first introduction to HTML too, 
or like any web programming at that point. Yeah, that's a shame. It was a, it was the first time I touched anything other than Java, and so like he immediately throws us in with like trying to like immediately understand how like we used FreeMarker, like FreeMarker templates to make HTML pages and have the Java code load the FreeMarker page, which I feel like there was an easier way that could have been done. I don't did know, you have you ever... uh, did you have Doctor Dan? No. Okay, uh, that's probably the problem then. Everyone says Doctor Dan's great, and that the other guy is terrible. Well, I don't know, Matt. Have you <laughs> ever heard of FreeMarker? No, I've never heard of that. Let me okay, look it up. that's what I was thinking. I, I felt like it was a very proprietary technology that, like, that probably the professor like knew, but it was it was a weird attempt because you had to write HTML, but you had to write like an XML file, and then it would just load load that file. It was it was weird. A Java template engine. Yeah. In most cases, when I'm, you know, you you're gonna use a template to build something or like a drag and drop to build something, I would rather just learn how to actually build it from the code. This looks fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> so so you, it's kind of like got the Angular vibe where you tag certain things and then the server side language will fill it in for you, but honestly, like. It's just overcomplicating things, man. Like, if you were to do this in PHP, the equivalent would be, all right, op- like, from within the HTML file, you, you know, you do those question mark things, and then you mark it as PHP code, and you just set a variable with a certain value, and then if you ever want to invoke it again, you can just echo it wherever you want to do that. And in yeah. this one, it's, it's like you have to go through, create the model, then create code to execute the model, and that is horrible. I honestly remember like very little from this class anyway. Um, it was the same semester that I was taking an introduction to like code from the New Media Institute, and that actually taught me web programming. Like that taught me HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and like things that I actually needed. Um, uh, things that I thought I would have learned from the web programming uh, class that I didn't. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I'll. I'll... So I'm. Go- I eventually did learn something, just not from that class. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Well, I am out of topics for this week because I can't remember. I'm sure I have. Think, I probably have like a long list of topics stored on my phone, but my phone is in the other room right now, and I go get it. Hmm. No worries. It's all good. It's all good. We should probably wrap it up because I think we're past the. Well, yeah, we have fifty minutes now, Colson. We, we just passed an hour, so. We just passed nice. an hour. Nice. Nice. One hour, two minutes with, you know, that in, that's including whatever built-up time that happened after I started recording. Well, I mean, if we're past an hour, we might as well go for two now, right? No, no, no. Let's call it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, thanks so much, guys, for listening to episode, Matt, what was it, 36? Yeah, 36. 36. Thank you for listening to episode 36 of the Technically Speaking podcast. Uh, Colson or Matt, say it at both at the same time. How can they get in touch with you? At Colson IRL well, on Twitter. Basically, Colson IRL on Twitter. <laughs> what? <laughs> you can't uh, get in you... touch with Matt, and you can get in touch with me at Colson IRL on Twitter. Uh, I just basically repeated what Colson said. <laughs> oh, okay. So if you want to contact me, contact Colson. <laughs> and I'll get in touch with Matt for you. Yeah. All right. And you can uh, follow me and hope my Twitter bot up on uh, at N with an 8 on Twitter. And... 
Yeah. Sorry, I've been severely distracted this podcast. That's okay. I'm usually the distracted one, so it's fine. It evens out. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, you were the one that ranted about all the technology, and uh, I was the one that was barely here. Exactly. It's a new year. It's a new show. Here we go. New year, new me, guys. All right. Thanks so much, guys. See you next time. Bye-bye. See ya. You want to do the clap anyway for history's sake? Well, yeah, because we still have to sync up uh, the two audios. Yeah, I'm just still got two audio files, so yeah, definitely do the clap. All right, I'm uh, I'm holding uh, my mic with one hand, so I'll let Nate do the clap for me. Okay, that'll work. All right, one, two, three, clap.